all the laws given to Moses by God. And it goes like this. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. So the message is quite clear. Don't covet. And I notice a few of you have been coveting my shirt, but stop it. But what does it mean to covet? The Collins Dictionary definition of the word is to wish, long, or crave for something, especially the property of another person. So I struggle, but I think I've come up with a modern equivalent of the Ten Commandments. And it could be something like this. Don't gaze longingly for what your neighbour has. If your neighbour gets a new car, if your neighbour builds a new addition to his house, if your neighbour buys some fancy clothes, if your neighbour gets better broadband connection speed, if your neighbour gets an A on a test, if your neighbour gets a bigger food mixer than you, Don't envy that neighbour. Don't be jealous. Don't envy his or her success. Don't crave for what they have. The commandment do not covet is unique in the sense that it internalises the law for each of us. Unlike the previous commandments, which focuses on the external actions of people, the tenth's primary focus is on our thoughts our desires, our feelings, and not on our actions. You could almost look at this commandment as a summary of the preceding nine commandments. Indeed, it has been argued that we always break this commandment of do not covet before we break any of the other nine. Now, there are many examples in the Bible of people breaking the commandments. But we really need to be doing well, or perhaps we should be really doing badly, if we come even close to King David. Rather than read the whole of 2 Samuel, chapters 11 and 12, let me summarise. When King David lets the desires of his heart, his coveting for Uriah's wealth, overwhelm him, he breaks all of the Ten Commandments. He pushes God aside as the desires take control. God no longer has first place. The images of his mind of Bathsheba become his God. With his actions, King David treats with disrespect God's name before all Israel. He desecrates the Sabbath as he appeared before God, seeking to hide his sin from the congregation. His actions certainly do not honour his father or mother. Basically, he's dragging his name through the mud. He commits adultery with Bathsheba. He kills Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, by having him deliberately placed at the front of the battle, where the fighting is fiercest, then having the troops withdraw from him so he will be struck down and die. He's still another man's wife. King David uses deceit and false testimony to cover his wrongdoing. Finally, his desire, his covetness for Uriah's wife, Bathsheba, ultimately leads him to break all of the commandments. 
So there you go. Even the great hero of the Bible, King David, got it so, so wrong. And it actually takes God to send Nathan to him to rebuke him, to bring King David back round. And it all began with coveting. It can be handy to look at the commandments and look at the flip side of the commandments. So if we're not to covet your neighbour's house, you know, you shall not covet your neighbour's wife, etc., then perhaps we should go to the other extreme and congratulate them instead. So, quick question for you to see if you're awake. When was the last time you congratulated a friend or a neighbour on their success? Or put it slightly differently, shall we take that modern equivalent of the Tenth Commandment mentioned earlier? If your neighbour gets a new car, congratulate them. If your neighbour builds a new addition to his house, congratulate them. If your neighbour buys some fancy clothes, congratulate them. Yes, if your neighbour gets better broadband speed, congratulate them. If they get an A on their test, congratulate them. If they get a bigger food mixer than you, congratulate them. Instead of wanting what your neighbour has, why not try and heed the words of Romans? Rejoice with those who rejoice. Let us be glad about their success and not think, I've got to have what they have. See, envy is really very good at destroying relationships or preventing them from starting up. But rejoicing in another success brings people together. It sounds obvious, really, but how many of us fail regularly to do this? I know I do. Although, I have to admit, if you do have great, super, excellent broadband connection... I might find it a bit too difficult to congratulate you. Coveting. Coveting is the single ingredient that sets us at odds with our world, our God, each other, and ourselves. James writes in chapter 4, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but you don't get it. You kill and covet, you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask for, with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred towards God? And anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or, do you think scripture says without reason that the spirit he calls to live in us envies intensely? Coveting sets us at odds with our world, our God, each other and ourselves. So what are we to do about it? As always, a good place to start is to heed the words of Jesus. Luke chapter 12, verse 15. Then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in abundance of possessions. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. The chapter continues with the parable of the rich fool, who tears down his barns to build bigger barns. 
so he can store his surplus grain. Then he says to himself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink and be merry. And the sting in the tail of the parable, however, is that God says to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. Chasing after things, coveting what you don't yet have, is ultimately tiring and leads us in the wrong direction, away from God. And to what purpose, really, at the end of the day? It's like Canon J. John says, the thing about the rat race is that even if you win the race, you are still a rat. Now, the Bible doesn't condemn having wealth and possessions. Money is not evil, but, as 1 Timothy 6 puts it so eloquently, it is the love of money that is the root of all kinds of evil. The love of it. Money, goods, possessions can all be good things, but they do have their limitations. So forgive me to quote Jack Hannon and J. John again. Well, I thought I might as well get you warmed up for the Just One event in June. Money can buy medicine, but it cannot buy health. It can buy a house, but not a home. It can buy companionship, but not friendship. It can buy entertainment, but not happiness. It can buy, it can buy makeup, but not beauty. It can buy food, but not an appetite. It can buy a bed, but not sleep. It can buy a crucifix, but not a saviour. If we look at 1 Timothy 6 again, but godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. The great gain comes from contentment. It comes from understanding that life is not about what material items we have or chasing after what someone else has that matters but being content in the relationship with God. Or as Paul puts it in Philippians, for I have learned to be content with whatever circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. I want to be like Paul, don't you? Have you ever got to, have you ever had a moment where you got to the end of a really good meal and you go, oh. no, am I the only one? You, you've all done that, yeah? And you go, what a great meal. That moment of total and utter contentment of what has just passed. But it's a bit more than that, probably. It probably has something to what you drank and the, the companionship you had around you. When you sit there and you go, wow. Have you had that moment? Well, I want to get to the end of my earthly life and have that same reaction. I want to go, wow, it's finished. What a great life. Where I've had a home and not just a house. Where I've had a friendship and not just companionship. Where I've had happiness and not just entertainment. 
where I've had a really deep and meaningful relationship with my saviour and not just bought the trinkets, read the words, sung the words, songs. And I'm getting there, I think. And we need to learn to be grateful for what we have. Now, here are just a few statistics that blew me away when I read them. And you've probably heard them before, but hey. If you have food in the refrigerator, clothes on your back, a roof over your head, and a place to sleep, you're richer than 75% of this world. If you have money in the bank, in your wallet, and spare change in a dish someplace, you are among the top 8% of the world's wealthy. If you woke up this morning with more health than illness, you are more blessed than a million people who will not survive this week. You have never experienced the danger of battle, the loneliness of imprisonment, the agony of torture, or the pangs of starvation. You are more fortunate than 500 million people in the world. Perhaps you already knew these facts. But it certainly made me think again about how much God has given me and how much I should be grateful for. So if we're not chasing after things, wanting things we don't have, then we can focus on people and not on possessions. I'm pretty sure that when I get to the end of my life, I won't be thinking, I'm so glad I got that deluxe food mixer with the extra attachments, like the dough hook. Or, more seriously, if only I spent more time at work earning more cash. But I am pretty sure that I will be glad that I spent as much time as possible with family and friends, with maybe a trace of regret that I didn't spend more time. Being content allows us to focus on people, not possessions. They're not just people. It allows us to focus on Jesus Christ. God made us for a purpose, and in Jesus we find that purpose. There is one who can see the movements of our heart and our true intentions, and also knows what is good for us. Which just brings us back to the point of the Tenth Commandment, with its focus on our thoughts, our desires, and our feelings. I guess actually all the commandments are there because God made us for a purpose. And in Jesus we find that purpose. It is worth repeating. There is one who can see the movements of the heart and our true intentions and also knows what is good for us. So perhaps it's right to finish the whole Ten Commandments series with the words of Jesus. Your heavenly father already knows all your needs and he will give you all you need from day to day if you live for him and make the kingdom of God your primary concern. And all we have to do is love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and love your neighbour as yourself. So shall we pray? Heavenly Father, Lord God, you said I shouldn't covet, but sometimes in my weakness I reach out for things that I thought would satisfy me. Yet once I had them, 
They seemed like cheap counterfeits. And they didn't satisfy me at all. Please help me to surrender my selfish desires. Help me, Jesus, to learn that true contentment comes from you alone. And so, Lord, I say to you, I only desire those things that you know will satisfy me and fulfill me. In Jesus' name, amen.